0: Today's episode is brought to you by our brand new exclusive discount code for thebeardstruggle.com Gentlemen, have you grown out that beard? Or are you just starting? Well, if you're like me, you began to notice pretty quickly that the skin underneath all that hair can get pretty dry and flaky. And trust me when I tell you, beard dandruff sucks. And the people over the beard struggle know this and have made it their life's work to develop the best products to make growing, and keeping that beard as painless as possible. Over time, the ingredients in their formulas have proven themselves, not just because their customers have had enormous success with them, but because they have worked for centuries. They use 100% natural ingredients, never test on animals, and promise a 90 day money back guarantee. From the day and night oils, the shampoos and conditioners, all the way to the ingenious beard straightener. They have everything you need to tame that face fur, and I use them, my beard has never looked, felt, or smelled better. Just ask my wife. So go to thebeardstruggle.com, all one word, or click on our link in the show notes, and use our new exclusive discount code, AUDIO15, at checkout for 15% off. That's A-U-D-I-O-1-5 for 15% off your entire order. Go now, and feast your face! No witty banter to begin this one.
1: Oh. (laughs) Witty banter.
0: Witty banter. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, let's do something that we haven't done the past few episodes. I'm Kevin. I'm Stephanie. And this is Open a Fucking Book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Weekday, Weekday, Week, week. Wick. (laughs) Wick. Welcome to Weekday Cliff Notes.
0: Uh I don't have any news. Do you have some news? I
1: do. Okay. I didn't I didn't
0: find anything that seems super super interesting, but you go ahead with your news.
1: Uh Newscore and Penguin Random House are leading are the leading bidders for Simon and Schuster. I mentioned yeah. this the other day. Yeah.
0: I I saw this news story. I didn't really read into it, but I have a real Simon and Schuster is huge. Newscore is huge. Penguin Random House is huge. I have a problem with all these huge companies kind of coming together and forming a giant monopoly because then it it really makes it harder. One, it makes it harder on the independent book uh, publishers to get out the smaller books from the the unknown writers. And two, you got these three now, which are going to eventually become two, I suppose, uh, giant... Publishers that are just going to decide what and when we get to read what and when.
1: Yeah, and for those who do not know, News Corp owns HarperCollins. Yes. So, it's kind of a huge conglomerate yeah. of.
0: It's already the, the three biggest publishers in like the world <laughs> coming together. You know and two of them are going to merge. Penguin, Penguin, and Random House were two different ones, and they already merged. Yes. So,
1: and then if, if you pay attention to Open a Fucking Book, the the weekly series, you've heard us uh, say Simon & Schuster from series from way back in yeah, the early we've 1900s. Been, yeah, we've been
0: talking about Sh- Simon & Schuster for a long time. We've talked about Grove Press for a long time, too, which, you know, whatever. But I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not big on a bunch of huge companies coming together to make an even bigger company because that's nothing good. Ever comes from it, the service or whatever they provide is usually shittier, and it's because they don't have any competition.
1: The only to, other to competition they're going to get is Amazon, because they have self-publishing through Amazon yeah, now.
0: Self-publishing and going through a public Amazon's not going out and really pushing their self publishing Oh, these people are self-published. Go buy their book. Amazon doesn't give two fucks about the people who self-publish on Amazon. They could not care less. Jeff Bezos doesn't give a flying fuck about the people who are self-publishing on Amazon. If you self-publish a book on Amazon, congratulations. I hope you do well. I'm sorry for. He's not going to start caring
1: shit. until more and more people do it and they start making more money.
0: He's he's still not going to. The guy has. I mean, he, he'll be a trillionaire by the fucking like. Two years. He does not give a fuck how much money anybody else is making off of books. So let's get that out now. Okay. I okay. don't I... like big conglomerates coming together. It's not good for anybody except for the big conglomerates.
1: I, I understand that. And then this is kind of sad news um, bookstore sales have dropped 28% in September.
0: Yes, I saw that too. Yes. Um, in
1: 2019. There were about $842 million worth of book sales. And in 2020, in September, it was $609 million. People aren't actually getting to bookstores. And I guess people don't really trust online shopping. So I can get that. But, you know, it's still...
0: I mean, books are being sold. It's a lot more e-books that are getting sold right now.
1: And those are a lot cheaper. Well... You can get and with a Kindle Unlimited. So,
0: so, you know, with with Kindle Unlimited, it it's cheaper, and you know you can get deals sometimes on stuff. But yeah, an ebook it it's cheaper to produce, it's cheaper to keep. You don't have to carry a bunch of books. You don't have to pay for paper to put ink on. So yeah, e-books is the big thing, and it, it's it's going to be pushing bookstores probably out of business because you don't even have to buy an ebook. You can you can rent ebooks just like you can rent regular books from library. They got trading services or you know rental services stuff like that. So
1: And then you also have Audible.
0: Yeah. So uh, it sucks. And that's why we keep telling you go to an independent bookstore, buy a local book from an independent book buy a local book from a uh, from a local author. Buy a book from a local author at a local independent bookstore. We we push that at the end of Every episode we do, because uh, honestly, if we don't start doing it, the independent bookstores are going to be gone. You know, we just left with Barnes and Noble and Books-A-Million.
1: There used to be Borders. There used
0: to be Borders. Yeah. <laughs> and Borders was huge, and they went out of business.
1: Yeah, Books a Million will probably be the next to go out
0: of. Yeah, they're not near as big as Barnes and Noble. No. They don't have the best selection. You go in there and you can you can tell they're kind of the uh, uh, the RC sister. the RC cola to to Barnes and Noble's Pepsi. So, I mean, it is what it is. What it is, but it's it's really gonna suck when if you want to buy a book. They used to have Walden, I think it was Walden Books or whatever, Ooh. in the mall, and I don't. They're not there anymore either. So, there used to be two bookstores in the mall near us, one right above the other. Both of them are gone. Of course, most of the mall has gone, too, but that's a whole other conversation. Okay.
1: Uh, there is a book I want.
0: Uh, well, okay. Before Before we go on and you say there is a book I want, there is always a book you want. There's
1: multiple books I want.
0: Here's one.
1: Here is one. You know
0: all those books I want? Here's one.
1: Uh, it's a book, a poetry by Margaret
0: Atwood. Oh, Handmaid's Tale, yeah. Margaret yeah. Atwood. Yes. yes, the same Margaret. At- yes, that Margaret yeah. Atwood.
1: <laughs> it's called Dearly, new poems. Uh, she collects her first new poems in about ten years. They cover love and loss. Um, you know, her husband died and or her partner died in twenty nineteen. Yeah, um, humanity and nature and zombies. She writes poems about zombies. I'm,
0: in, I'm I'm in for it. I love zombies. I do too. Big we're big we're big fans of the zombies. Not real zombies. Don't think I'd be a fan of real zombies, but the fake ones you see on TV. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I I was reading some new books that were coming out. It came out November 10th. So I was like that's very interesting. And then I also read what Ready Player 2 is about which I don't know why I didn't read it until... I still
0: don't know what Ready Player Two is going to be about.
1: There's another Easter egg.
0: Really? Yes. Mm, I don't know how I feel about that.
1: Like, he takes over everything, and then he finds out there's another Easter egg. Okay. And then he has to figure out whether or not he wants to go after it.
0: Okay, I mean, I'll give it a chance. That's fine. It's just... The whole point of the first one was there's one Easter egg. And if, if, if you can find all this stuff that leads into finding the Easter egg and figure it all out, you get the company. And then for him to be like, OK, well, let's put up another Easter egg. And then the person who, you know, somebody could find that. It just uh, they it didn't. Seems...
1: It, the synopsis didn't say what happens if you find the Easter egg, though. OK.
0: I mean, that. look, I love Ready Player One. I love the book. And I tolerated the movie. And I'm going to be down to read. You know, it's going to come out. We're going to buy it. We'll order it from, like, Left Bank Books or something. So we have it, again, from an independent local bookstore. And we'll have it here. And we will both sit down at some point and read it. And hopefully it doesn't completely fuck everything up because... I always say, "Oh, go ahead and make sequels. Go ahead and make reboots." Because I'll, I'll always have the original. If I don't like what you do, I still have the original that I love. But it seems like with this, if you're if you're making a sequel to a book and then you're going to try to interweave whatever is going to be in the second book into the first book, like there's a bunch of stuff we missed. I don't know. It seems like it can affect how much you know the, the way you feel about the first book. So I'm a little iffy about that. But we'll see. Okay. I'm and, open for it.
1: Then lastly, I was uh, scrolling through my Facebook and I'm part of a lot of author groups and yeah. so on and so forth. And I saw this book pop up and I thought it would be great for some of our readers, whether or not they're part of the LGBTQ community or not. Um, it's a gay YA Christmas story. Okay. Uh, It's called Do You Know What I Know by Shane K. Morton. It's a hidden love, a holiday surprise. It's a story. It's a 100-page novella type book uh, about two high school boys. One's Archie. He's a choir boy. And then there's Hudson, who's a quarterback. They're both secretly in love with each other. They're both secret boyfriends, but... Hudson has to play that quarterback jock who's a bully at school but then sneaks into Archie's bedroom at night and then as they're seniors they have to figure out what they're going to do in real life Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and hopefully it has a happy ending.
0: Parents really need to get better at teaching their kids that it's it's okay to be whoever you are in high school because at and and I understand it's just a story, but it's not just a story because it does take place everywhere. It does. That in 2020, the quarterback for a football team in high school, the, the star player, can't be himself. It, it's This isn't the 60s or the 50s. And it, you can't be yourself. Uh, it, it's sad. So and, and I think more stories need to be written like that. That's why those are usually the type of ones that I pick out for this show because those are the ones I want to push because those are the ones that need to be read more. They do. I don't need to promote James Patterson stuff. I need to promote more stuff like that. Yes,
1: and Shane lives with his husband and their fur baby in California.
0: Oh! What kind of fur baby did it say? Is it cat, dog, pig? Just said fur baby. Just said fur baby. I would like to know more about the fur myself. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have anything, so let's just get to our four. Well, I guess it's not five, but let's get to our four books of the week, okay. starting with fiction. And this is called Before the Coffee Gets Cold by Toshikazu Kawaguchi. If you could go back, who would you want to meet? In a small back alley of Tokyo there is a cafe that has been serving carefully brewed coffee for more than 100 years. Local legend says that this shop offers something else besides coffee, the chance to travel back in time. Over the course of one summer, four customers visit the cafe in hopes of making that journey, but time travel isn't so simple, and there are rules that must be followed. Most important, the trip can only last as long as it takes for the coffee to get cold. Heartwarming, wistful, mysterious, and delightfully quirky, this internationally best-selling novel explores the age-old question, what would you change if you could travel back in time? From Hanover Square Press, November 2020, I believe it came out on the 17th, uh, 272 pages, so not super long. He wrote this, uh, I believe it was a couple years ago, in Japan. He was 44 when he wrote it. So he wrote that, and he's sure to put that out on his Twitter page. So look at our show notes. You can click on his name. It'll take you to his Twitter page. Click on the translation because it's all in Japanese. And it'll tell you that I wrote this book when I was 44. He's right out there with it, so I guess it bears saying. But uh, this is the first time it's being published and translated into American English for us. So that's why I have it on here. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, but it's new to us.
1: Sounds very interesting. I know. I'm already thinking of who who would I want to speak
0: to. I did the same thing, but it only lasts as long. And they're in the uh, obviously go by the picture on the cover of the thing, but they're just regular cups of coffee.
1: Coffee doesn't stay warm long.
0: It does not stay warm long unless it is put in a tumbler or something. Then it can stay warm for a while. I have to take but... an
1: electric heating pad.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. I don't know. <laughs> you don't tell I me what to I, do. I, I I haven't read the book yet, and we haven't bought it yet. Um, but I don't know if that's how it works. So, I don't know. Maybe ask for them to put, put it in a special, those, uh, mugs that are electrified and keep things warm for long and you can just have them poured in there or a, a pre-warmed thermos have them poured get in one of there those baby that stays, bottle warmers. Yeah, stays warm for like eight hours and you can go back and have yourself a good old time. I don't know how it works. You have to get the book and read. It's not a very long 272 pages. Not too long. So, I don't know. Seemed like fun. You
1: always worry about length.
0: (sighs) So, that's what she said, comment, coming. No.
1: Not when it's related
0: to books. Okay, because sometimes a bigger book will kind of put people off. I see a bigger book, and a lot of times I kind of get put... Because I know... Because I know more than likely I like the story. It's just A, finding the time to read it, and B, finding the dedication to sit through it and read it. If I see a longer book, honestly, I usually go for Audible so that it can be read to me. Because honestly, if I have to sit down and read, you know, a fucking Under the Dome, which is, you know, 900 pages, there's a good chance that I'm. You know, I started that a long time ago. I ended up finishing it on Audible because I didn't have the time or the dedication to just sit down and read it. I I know me, and I know I won't sit and read that big of a book. So, unless I absolutely have to.
1: And then there's people like me who can read a 900-page novel in a
0: day. Exactly. But that's that's why I have the page count because for some people, how big the book is really does put them off to whether or not they're going to read it or not. If I see a very small book Usually I'm going to buy a two or three of those really small books because I know I will be able to get through those. I used to take smaller books, I mean, not tiny books, but you know, not 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 novellas, but not super big fucking novels along with me to work and I would read them on my breaks. And I would it would take me a long time to get through them, I knew I'd get through it. But I couldn't fit fucking under the dome or the stand in my goddamn lunchbox because they're bigger than a fucking cinder block. That's why I put out how many pages there are so people know. Okay. 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 Now for the nonfiction book. Now there's a lot of nonfiction out there. there there's a really big nonfiction book that just came out, the Pro- A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Yes. This is not the one we are going to talk about. Barack Obama's book does not get to, need to be pushed. I'm sure he will do just fine on selling his memoir because it's fucking Barack Obama and everybody with the, you know, brain loves Barack Obama so I'm sure that it will sell fine so that is not the one I'm talking oh my
1: about. god I had a nightmare the other night that Trump won <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be scary that what like they're they were counting down the votes and it it came down like to the last three and
0: came down to the last three
1: yeah and it, <laughs> Oh, my
0: gosh. Okay. Well, our nonfiction book for this week is The Moth and the Mountain, True Story of Love, War, and Everest by Ed Caesar. In the 1930s, as official government expeditions set their sights on conquering Mount Everest, a little-known World War I veteran named Maurice Wilson conceives his own crazy, beautiful plan. He will fly a plane from England to Everest, crash-land it on its lower slopes, then become the first person to reach its summit, all utterly alone. Wilson doesn't know how to climb, he barely knows how to fly, but he has the right plane, the right equipment, and a deep yearning to achieve his goal. In 1933, he takes off from London in a Gypsy Moth biplane with his course set for the highest mountain on Earth, Wilson's 11-month journey to Everest is wild, full of twists, turns, and daring. Eventually, in disguise, he sneaks into Tibet. His icy ordeal is just beginning. Wilson is one of the great war heroes, but also one of its victims. His hometown of Bradford in northern England is ripped apart by fighting. So is his family. He barely survives the war himself. Wilson returns from the conflict, unable to cope with the sadness that engulfs him. He begins a year-long trek around the world, burning through marriages and relationships, leaving damaged lives in his wake. When he finally returns to England, nearly a decade after he first left, he finds himself falling in love once more, this time with his best friend's wife, before depression overcomes him again. He emerges from his own funk with a crystalline ambition. He wants to be the first man to step on top of the world. Wilson believes that Everest can redeem him. This is the tale of an adventurer unlike any you have ever encountered, complex, driven, wry, haunted, and fully alive. He is a man written out of the history books, dismissed as an eccentric, and gossiped about because of rumors of his transvestitism. The Moth and the Mountain restore Maurice Wilson to his rightful place in the annals of of Everest and tells an unforgettable story about the power of the human spirit in the face of adversity. From avid reader press which is Simon & Schuster. November 2020, I believe it came out on the 17th. 288 pages. That's a lot of story fit into not a lot of pages. So
1: one year, lots of wives.
0: Years-long trek around the world, burning through marriages and relationships, leaving damaged lives in his wake. Wow, dude's got some issues. <laughs> well, it makes you want to read it.
1: Yeah, I guess. Just to see how many wives he got in that one year.
0: Oh, I yeah, I kind of... The the Everest thing is kind of does is, is something that doesn't even really matter to me. Like, did he get to Everest first? I want to read about every fucking thing else that happened.
1: Yeah, like because Everest seems to be like the last few pages of the book. Yeah, like who gives a shit if he got to the top
0: of the world? And the fact that he's rumored to be a transvestite.
1: Well, I think that's because he said he was in he was disguised to get into I don't, to bed. I don't know. So that might be the transvestitism.
0: Maybe uh, again, you want to know more. Got to read the fucking book.
1: Open a fucking book.
0: (laughs) Now on to our kids. Super Sidekicks Number 1, No Adults Allowed by Gavin Ung-Than. New York Times best-selling cartoonist Gavin Ung-Than delivers caped crusaders, dinosaurs, and goo in this hilarious new graphic novel series perfect for the fans of Captain Underpants and Hilo. Superheroes have it so easy. They don't have to clean their secret headquarters, wash alien bloodstains out of their costumes, or walk Supermutt. No, they leave that for their sidekicks. Why, they get all the credit. Well, Junior Justice, a.k.a. JJ, has had enough. He thinks it's time the sidekicks made a team of their own. Dinomite, which is spelled like dino and then mite, and Fly Girl are ready to join the team. But first, they have to prove to the adult superheroes that they're more than just sidekicks. And once the Dr. Evil Enoch discovers his favorite pet goo has left him, the world might need saving sooner rather than later. And kick it up a notch in Super Sidekicks Number 2, Ocean's Revenge, coming in 2021. This is Random House Books for Young Readers, November 2020, 114 pages, ages
1: 8 to 12. Awesome. Isn't it? It is.
0: I would have loved that when I was a kid. I mean, I'd probably like it now. It's
1: kind of like Teen Titans, though. Uh, n- n- or uh, Justice League. or you know, No, because they... They want to prove to the real superheroes that they can do it, too.
0: Yeah. I guess kind of. Not, I mean, yeah, okay. Kind of. I think of uh, Sky High.
1: Well, no, because that's just the high school meant to teach yeah, but at them the, to... yeah,
0: but at the end of it, all the the sidekicks get together to beat up the you know quote unquote heroes that had been that they split inside the school and the sidekicks they should have ended up winning
1: attacked all the teachers because the teachers were the ones that determined whether or not they were a sidekick well, the, or her. the
0: teachers got turned into babies. Remember?
1: Yeah, I know. I love that movie.
0: I know. And our YA novel is. These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. The year 1926, and Shanghai hums to the tune of debauchery. A blood feud between two gangs runs the streets red, leaving the city helpless in the grip of chaos. At the heart of all of it is 18 year old Juliet Kai, a former flapper who has returned to assume her role as the proud heir of the Scarlet Gang. A network of criminals far above the law. Their only rivals in power are the White Flowers, who have fought the Scarlets for generations, and behind every move is their heir, Roma Montague, Juliet's first love and first betrayal. But when gangsters on both sides show signs of instability culminating and clawing their own throats out, the people start to whisper, of a contagion, of madness, of a monster in the shadows. As the deaths stack up, Juliet and Roma must set their guns and grudges aside and work together. For if they can't stop this mayhem, there will be no city left for each other to rule. From Margaret K. Mickleberry Books, November 2020, I believe, again, it came out on the 17th, 464 pages, ages 13 to 17, so 13 and up. That's another publisher we've said a few times on this show. Now, what two stories... Do does that remind you of? That I imagine she's pulling a lot of inspiration from.
1: Well, it's a lot of Shakespeare, obviously.
0: It's Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. And... Scarlet Gang, White Flowers. Uh, the, um... War of the Roses.
1: No, I... Sharks versus Jets.
0: No, nah, I wasn't thinking. I was thinking War of the... Because Sharks... West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet in dance form. I was thinking I saw Scarlet, and then I saw White Flowers. I immediately thought, War of the Roses, And then obviously, Juliet and Roma. Yeah, it's a a 1920s Japanese Romeo. Romeo and Juliet. Which I think is neat. Shanghai's in China. It is in China. That's right, it is in China. Okay, so 1920s. Chinese Romeo and Juliet. I apologize.
1: It does sound like an interesting... Twist. Yeah.
0: On an an old tale.
1: Yeah, because it doesn't sound like they're star-crossed lovers so much as they're working together to protect their city.
0: Yeah, it's because it said first love and first betrayal. So at some point, one of them did something to the other. I'm guessing he did something to her. Because it was... Her first love and first betrayal. So I'm guessing that he was the one who betrayed
1: her, or she betrayed her first betrayal.
0: I guess it's how I'll, I'll, I'll get the fucking book and read it.
1: Okay, you gave me permission.
0: <laughs> that no, I am telling them <laughs> no, the, no, people, you the people, the people on me... the other side of this microphone is you the heard one I'm talking. To. You heard him. Fine, fine. Get the fucking book.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Now before you spend more of my money, let's give the socials out.
1: Okay, we are at OpenAFINGBook on Twitter and Instagram, and I am at ECJVAT on Twitter and Instagram She's got well.
0: a big smile on her face now because now she knows she can go buy a book. Um, YoungETAM6 on Twitter, YoungETAM on Instagram. You can email us, open an F- open book at gmail.com. Stephanie, our Goodreads.
1: Goodreads.com backslash OpenAFingBook.
0: I see a theme. Uh, we still have Patreon stickers. If you want to go to, go get some of those and donate to make this show better than what it is already, go to our patreon.com slash open a effing book. You go to my wife's Etsy page, etsy.com slash shop slash Art. Get some soaps, some good smelling uh, Thanksgiving soaps. And she'll be having some Christmas soaps, I'm sure, come up here not too long after after Thanksgiving's done.
1: I need to get them up before Thanksgiving. That way they can
0: get shipped. Well, yeah. You, I mean, you have a month between Thanksgiving and Christmas to, to get them there. And it doesn't take that long for you to make them. She, she gets those soaps up pretty quick. I do. So. Come back for our Monday show. It's episode three of Hunter S. Thompson. Um, lot a lot of weird shit still going to go on. there. A, it's a pretty big episode. Uh, so. I mean, all the episodes are big, but there's, there's there's pretty big things that happen in this episode. Stuff that you wouldn't, if you don't know him, things that you wouldn't see coming or coming in the next episode.
1: He gave me a spoiler alert, and um, I'm looking forward to it.
0: I don't even remember what I told you.
1: Something about a little person?
0: Oh. Well, if you know his, his major book, then you, you might know that story, I don't know. But come back Monday and find out. Uh, rate and review us wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. You can, uh, most of them, you, you, can, you can subscribe or follow. Apple, you can rate and review. Go to your local library, your local bookstore. Buy a book from a local independent author from a local independent bookstore. Best thing you can do to help them out. Uh, during the show or after the show, if you like any of the books that we talked about or you want to know more about them or know more about the authors, go down to our show notes. Everything is down there. You can just click on the title of the book. It'll take you to somewhere where you can find out more about the book. Find out a way to purchase it. Click on the name. It'll send you, I believe, on this show, it's to all the Twitter pages. And you can follow them and see what that author is up to. Stephanie? Sounds good. I think that's it. That's it. All right. Well, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Between now and the time we get to talk to you again, do yourself a favor. Go
1: buy more books. I
0: mean That's not the that's not the name of the show.